Guys, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me for our scripture reading. We're going to look together this morning at Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to ask you if you'll please stand as we read Holy Scripture together. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 11. This is God's holy word for us, his people. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let's ask him to bless our time in His Word. Father, this truly is Your Word, and we thank You that You have opened Your mouth and spoken the words of eternal life to us. You have given us law and gospel and example in Your Holy Scriptures. May You take the truth of Your Word today and write it upon our hearts, and may our lives be marked, changed, as a result of having an encounter with the living God who speaks His truth into our lives. Get glory for yourself today and help us to drink deeply at this fountain of living water today for our joy and good and for your glory we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The past few weeks we have been taking a very close look at all the components of worship and how to craft public worship in a fashion that is deeply and thoroughly biblical. We have examined the regulative principle of worship in detail, where we find it in Scripture and how we apply it in practice. Last week, we looked at how Jesus was sent as the great reformer of Judaism, the new high priest over God's house who brings old covenant worship to an end and replaces it with new covenant worship. Jesus did this when he offered himself as a sacrifice for sins and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, the true tabernacle, where he now appears before God in your behalf. Jesus, therefore, is our true minister from heaven, our heavenly worship leader. All our worship under the new covenant must flow through Jesus and in the name of Jesus to God the Father. This reformed worship requires a reformed liturgy, reformed on the basis of the work of Christ as our high priest. 
And this means that our worship ought to be gospel-shaped. Liturgy, as we saw last week, is all about how we approach God and how we draw near to Him and enter into His presence to worship Him. Our own liturgy at our church, our order of worship here at the Forks, must be built out of the Bible and based on the gospel, shaped like the gospel. That's what biblical Reformed worship is really all about. This morning, we will continue this theme of basing our liturgy, our worship, on the gospel according to the new covenant reformation of Christ. But this week, instead of zooming further and further in, like taking our, like we've been doing recently, taking this sort of microscopic view of worship and all of its little details and elements and pieces and how they relate together, instead of zooming further and further in to worship, we're going this, this morning to zoom out. Today, we're going to consider the day of worship, the day God commands us to worship on, the Sabbath day. There's one thing we haven't considered about corporate worship, public worship. We haven't said anything about when God commands us to do it. I mean, we all just sort of take it for granted. We can all check our phones and see what day of the week it is. It's Sunday. Here we are. So, duh Sunday, right? But why Sunday? Uh, did God tell us to do it on Sunday? How do we zoom out this morning and think about worship as a day of worship? That's what we're going to do. So, we're going to go back to the Ten Commandments where it all started. We're going to look at what God requires in the Sabbath day commandment, the fourth commandment, and we're going to look at how Christ reforms the Sabbath day under the new covenant. So those are our two big things we have to do this morning. We're going to look at the fourth commandment and look at the Old Testament and see what does God require in the fourth commandment, the Sabbath day commandment. And our last point where we'll end today is how has Christ reformed the Sabbath day as part of our reformed liturgy under the new covenant? That's where we're going to go. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 19, section 2, says that God's moral law was published on Mount Sinai in ten commandments. Written on two tablets, or as the older language says, two tables. Two tables. And don't think of it as, you know, a table you eat on. Like the multiplication tables, right? Two tables, two tablets. Theologians like to divide the Ten Commandments into two groups. The first table of the law and the second table of the law. The first table consists of the first four commandments, the ones we've read in our passage today. And the second table consists of the remaining six commandments of the ten. First table, first four commandments. Second table, the remaining six. Now, why do they group them in these, into these two? Because the first table tells us about our duty towards God. And the second table teaches us our duty towards man or towards one another. The first table, how do we live to God? The second table, how do we live with one another? That's the basic division if you look at what the content of the commandments. So the first table is about our service of God. How do you live for God and serve God? And that includes how we worship. How do we worship God? In fact, Jonathan Edwards says that the first table is a worship template. A worship template. Edwards says this, He says, concerning our worship, he says, The first command fixes or determines the object. The second, the means. The third, the manner. And the fourth, the time of our worship. The first commandment fixes 
and determines the object, who we're going to worship. The second determines the means of how we go about worshiping. The third determines the manner. And the fourth, the time of our worship. It is a worship template. In verses, so let's look at a couple things about each of these. The object of worship is in verses 1 through 3. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This determines the singular object of our worship. We worship the God who redeemed us. The Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For the original audience, obviously, this is the Exodus. For us, under the new covenant, this is the one who saves us, not just from slavery in Egypt, but from bondage to sin. We worship the one God who has saved us. The second, the means of worship, is in verses 4 through 6. And this is where he says, God tells the people, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, an idol, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, in the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. So I'm the only God you're allowed to have. You shall have no other gods before me. I am the object of worship. And how, how are you going to worship me? Well, you're not going to use images. You don't make pictures of me and bow down to them. No idols, no images, no statues, no icons, no pictures, nothing. And in fact, he tells the people, when I appeared on Mount Sinai, you did not see my figure and my image. You heard my voice. We worship God through his word, not through pictures. Not through pictures. Now, the question here is, okay, how do we, what's, the, uh, what's the means of worship? How do we worship you, God? Well, don't worship me like this. Okay, all right, that's half, that's half the answer. God, how should we worship you? Well, make sure you don't do this. Okay, got it. Now, what should we do? This, the second God says, here's some things you better not do in worship, that means there are some things that are right and some things that are wrong. So the second commandment is all about the regulative principle. God gets to regulate how we worship him. Here are the right ways, here are the wrong ways. He sets apart how he wants to be worshipped. He sets the terms. We worship God the way he says and the way he says only. That's the regulative principle. The third is the manner of worship. Verse 7, the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And that word, we, we don't understand the third commandment very well. We think it means, you know, don't, don't use God's name as a bad word. Now, of course, that's included, but is that really what it means? Well, the word take, the Hebrew word under there for take, refers to what you would do when you move the groceries from the car to the house. You, you pick up the bag of groceries and you take it into the house. It means to carry. Don't carry God's name in vain. Don't bear his name in vain. There's a way that you can have God's name put upon you and you carry it with you in a way that profanes that name. It does not honor that name. God's name that's been put upon you. Don't carry my name around in vain. Obviously, don't take it on your lips in a way that's vain, but don't carry it in your life, and certainly don't carry my name with you into my worship and profane it. This is the manner of worship. Don't worship God in vain, but worship His name. Take up His name in worship in a way that is true and authentic and pure. That's the manner of worship. Remember Jesus in Matthew 15. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me. Last is the time of worship. The fourth commandment sets the time of worship. Verses 8 through 11, which begins in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We are to worship on God's day. We are to worship on His terms and on His schedule. We are to honor God by setting aside a weekly holy day. A weekly holy day. Well, obviously, this is where we need to spend the rest of our time. This fourth commandment, the time of worship, the day 
of worship. So let's, let's look more closely at what is required in this fourth commandment, the time of worship. God says in verse 8, keep the day holy. You see that? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Keep the day holy. Why? Verse 11, God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You see that in verse 11. God blessed the Sabbath day at the very end of the verse, and he made it holy. So, God has made this day holy, so we should keep this day holy. If we do, God has special blessing for us on this holy day. God blessed this day. He didn't bless Monday or Tuesday or Thursday or Friday. He blessed this day, and he sanctified this day. This is a special day. And he has his special blessing for us. He made it holy. We need to keep it holy. He blessed it to be a blessing to us. So, how do we do that? How do we do it? How do we obey this fourth commandment? We are to worship God on his schedule, observe his day, and keep it holy so that we receive his blessings. Okay, how do we do that? I want to give three ways, three things that we should do to keep this day holy. Three things that come out of the text itself. Three ways to keep this day holy. Number one, we are to remember. We are to remember. Verses 8 through the beginning of verse 10. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. First thing we got to do if we're going to keep this day holy is we got to remember that it's holy. We got to recall, we got to keep in mind Sunday's a different day. We're supposed to remember that it's holy. We've got to circle it on the calendar every week. And we got to see our week as building to that. Monday's the foothills, and we're climbing up the mountain in the week to meet with God on His day. God has made this a holy time. You know, we think about Moses in the book of Exodus, chapter 3. Burning bush. God speaking to Moses out of a bush that is burning but is not consumed. It's on fire, but it's not being burnt up. He's absolutely astonished at this. And he hears a voice, the voice of God, speaking to him. Moses, remove the shoes from your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. And Moses takes off his shoes and bows low to the earth. It was holy ground. The temple in Jerusalem, that was holy ground. We still call Israel the holy land. Holy space. And even the temple was marked off of the outer court, the least, the least holy. It's more holy than the rest of the land, but it's the least holy on the mountain where the temple is. Then you go into the holy place, and it's a little more holy, a little more sanctified. Then you've got the most holy place, the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is, and only the high priest goes in there, and just one time a year. And he has to be extra, extra, extra ritually clean before he goes in there, because it's so holy. He cannot bring his defilement into God's presence. Holy space. But we forget that God didn't just build holy space. He has built holy time. And just as much as you enter into a holy area like the temple, the Sabbath day, when it arrives, you have entered into a temple in time, Christian. God has built holy hours that are not like other hours. Hours where he has set them apart 
and blessed them and made them special, sanctified, and holy. How do you keep this day holy? Remember that it's holy in the first place. That would be step one. Circle it on the calendar. Your week is building to this. You go up into the mountain peak and meet with God in His worship, and then you come down the mountain to live and serve Him. You go up the mountain to do the first table, to worship Him the way He says, first four commandments. Then you come down that mountain on Monday, and you live the next six days going about the worldly business and the earthly life we have to live, serving God with the second table, obeying the next six commandments. That's the first thing we have to do. Remember that it's holy. There's another thing we've got to remember. We have to remember that it's a holy day. Not just a holy morning at church. Too many of us forget the part where it says it's a holy day. And we think, okay, I'm going to go to church... And I'm going to give God his hour and a half. And the rest of the day, we're on back to my time. The rest of the day is mine. But God never said, give me a holy hour. He said, it's a holy day. One day in seven. So we have to remember that it's, a whole, that it's holy. But we've got to remember it's a holy day. And what we do with the whole day should be on God's terms and on God's time. One more thing we should remember. We should remember on this day that God is our maker and our redeemer. This is a day to remind us that God is our maker and that God is our redeemer. He did the work of creating us and he does the work of redeeming us. And that's just in verse 11. He says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, because I've done this, follow my pattern. God observed the Sabbath in Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 3, or 4. God observed a Sabbath, and he calls us to observe a Sabbath as well in imitation of Him. When we keep the day holy, we are reminding ourselves that He's our Creator. It's a little parable about Genesis when we keep this day and we remember. Not just that He's our Creator, but also that He's our Redeemer. The, the Ten Commandments are given in two places in, in the law, in the law of Moses. Here in Exodus, but also in Deuteronomy chapter 5. The second telling of the law, which is what Deuteronomy means, the second giving of the law. Chapter 5, verse 15, it says this, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Not just because he kept the first Sabbath in Genesis, he's our maker, but we remember that, but we also remember that he's the deliverer, the one who brought us out of our bondage, the one who set us free. The Sabbath is a day to revel in the memory of the great works of God, that he is our maker and he is our savior. We stop on this day and we keep it holy by remembering who he is. That's the first thing to do if we want to keep the day holy. Remember. And remember in those three ways. Second thing we ought to do is we got to rest. We remember, number one, but number two, we rest. Back to our passage, chapter uh, verse 10, second half of verse 10 and verse 11. He says, On it, on the Sabbath day, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. We have to rest. And just like there were three things to remember, there are three ways. We should rest. 
on the Sabbath day. First of all, the clearest thing the text says that we should rest from is rest from the work of the other six days. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Rest from the work of the other six days. Now in that day, this, they didn't have a five-day work week. In the Old Testament, they had a six-day work week. And so they were told, you have to take a day off, which is great. God said, take a day off. You need to rest. You have to refresh yourself. You have to take a break. You have to let your livestock take a break. You have to let the servants take a break. You have to let the whole society take a break. He wanted there to be rest and refreshing And the only way you're going to do that is if he says, okay, put that down, stop doing that. You've done that for six days, sit down, rest. And what a gift it was because the rest of the world didn't have a six-day work week. They had a seven-day work week. They didn't take a day off. And God said here, work six days, you have to rest on the seventh. So it is a gift. It is a mercy. It is a blessing to be told by God Stop. In fact, that's what the the Hebrew word that is underlying the word Sabbath, it's a verb, and it literally just means stop it. It means cease. It means quit. Clock out. That's what it means. Rest, cease, stop. So I picture the week... Earlier, I pictured it like going up a mountain to meet with God. Now, picture it as though it were like a big, a big traffic light. Monday through Friday, that's, that's, that's the work week. That's where it's green light, baby. We go, 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 go. Get it done. Work hard. Accomplish. Do. Produce. Go. Saturday is when it turns yellow. The week turns yellow, and it says, Caution, you're going to have to come to a stop tomorrow. But if you speed up like we all do at a yellow light, we're not really going to be good at, at, at stopping on the day it turns red. Saturday's that day that says, okay, you've been going hard. Start winding down because on, on Sunday when it turns red, we expect you to come to a complete stop at a red light. Not a rolling stop, right? You'll get pulled over for that. A complete stop, and there's no turn on red, so just get comfy and sit and just wait. Now, we hate that. I mean, especially if we pull up to a red light, it's a big intersection, a lot of traffic's coming, and then we sit there for five, six minutes, and it won't turn red, and I'm ready to get unsanctified and kill someone. Maybe I'm just testifying. But we don't like it. And the longer we sit, the more restless we get. And that's how we treat Sunday. All right, I'm going to sit at the red light till church is over. And then it's green light. Go. Stop it. (laughs) That's what Sabbath means. Cease. Sit still. Chill. Rest. Relax. It'll turn green. And then you'll have five days of green. And you can go, 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 go. But it means stop. Rest from your ordinary six-day labors. The stuff that characterizes the way we work and the things we have to do. And there's a million things we've all got to do. We're super stressed and we're all busy. But the way we remember the Sabbath is we circle Sunday and we say, All right, I've got six days to get it done. And then I don't have to worry about it on Sunday. It's actually a gift. It's not a burden. It was like, oh, I need that seventh day. No, God knows what you need, and he knows you need to stop. Do your regular, earthly, worldly, required work, and then on the seventh day, as much as you can, as much as it's up to you, carve out a day, not a morning, a day, to put that stuff aside. And in its place, spend extra time with the Lord that day. It doesn't mean 24-7 all you can do is sit there and meditate. And and if you have one thought about like dusting the table over there, because you saw it before you closed your eyes, that 
you know, you're going to get hammered or something. No. Take that work, that time you would have spent doing a chore, a task, an errand, an activity. Schedule time a little bit ahead to get it done Saturday or whatever. And then take that time you would have spent doing your ordinary work. This isn't sinful work. It's just, it's the normal stuff you got to do. But in, in its place, rest from that and replace it with something extra you can do with the Lord. Even if it's just one thing, guys, replace that time with one extra thing you can do to make it a day of worship, not just, not just a couple hours. First thing we got to do when we rest to keep the day holy is rest from our ordinary work. The second thing, the second way we should rest is we have to remember that we are here to rest in God. We rest in God. This is Psalm 46, 10 through 11. It says, be still and know that I am God. Take a Sabbath and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is worship. We take the day to rest from our work and we set it aside to worship God. To meet with him, to be still, to quit busying ourselves with the normal stuff and just be with God today. Psalm 92 is actually, it has a little title Sometimes we don't notice that the Psalms have titles. A lot of them do, not all of them, but a bunch of them have titles. And the title of this one is Song of the Sabbath. Song of the Sabbath. And this is how it starts. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. That's a whole day. That's a whole day. It's a Sabbath day. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. To the music of the lute and the harp. To the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. That's why we rest, guys. We rest from our works to revel in God's works. We remember that he is our creator and our Redeemer. We, we be still and let Him be God and we let His works work for us. We let Him go to work on us. But we have to sit still for Him to do that. Rest in God on the Sabbath. We rest from our earthly labors to get physical relaxation and refreshing, but we also rest in God through worship and through being with him, through the spiritual exercises of the day. Third way we rest is we rest in God's blessings. This is Isaiah 58, 13 through 14. It says, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, Not going your own ways, seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly. Then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It feels like there's there's too much to do to take a whole day. It feels like there's too much going on. There's too much I got to get done. I'm just going to be overburdened and more stressed if I don't get a head start on Monday. I'm just going to be swamped. And we all get that. That's the world we live in. Yes. But God says, I have such refreshing and such blessing for your soul, not just your body, but your soul, and maybe even for your schedule. If you'll just take the time to dwell with me. You think you can... Cut corners with me so you'll have more time and more energy to get stuff done during the week. That's not how it works. That's backwards. You need more time with me to have the strength to do all the other things you have to do. Take time to be with God. Remember the Sabbath day and rest on the Sabbath day. Rest in God and rest in his blessings as he works on us 
and for us on this holy day. There's one last thing I want to share from the text about how we keep the day holy. Number one, we remember. Number two, we rest. Number three, we reverence. We reverence. We make it a day of worship. We make the day a day of worship. And the main way we do that is what we're doing right now. We come together as a body, as a congregation, as a church, to appear in the presence of God, to worship Him together, to sing His praise, to do all the things the Bible tells us to do as a church when we get together for worship. We set aside our earthly work to busy ourselves with holy work. Holy work, that's what worship is. The worship of God with reverence and awe. That's what this day is primarily about. We can remember it and we can rest, but why are we remembering? Why are we resting? It's to get busy doing this. This is the work you have to be still to do. Reverencing God, worshiping Him in this day with reverence and awe, both at church, oh yes, but also at home. Listen to the words of Leviticus 26, 1 and 2. You shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. Right? That's second commandment, first commandment. I alone am your God. No other gods, no idols. And then he says in Leviticus 26, 2, You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. That's what we have to do on the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary. Worship God with the people of God. Go to church. But don't just go to church. We keep the day holy and we reverence God in our homes before and after church as well. Leviticus 23, 3, six days shall work be done. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, sacred rest, a holy convocation. There's church. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. It's still Sabbath when you go home after church. It's a whole day. It includes this building, but it includes the one you live in and all that you do there. It's still holy time. Don't think that this building is the temple in time, the palace of the holy day. No, your house is too. Your house is on the same time schedule. It's a holy time in your home, not just here. Make it a day of worship. And this is what God will do. If we keep God's day holy by reverencing Him, He will make us holy. And we will grow in our relationship with Him. Listen to the words of Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 12 and 20. Ezekiel says, God speaking through the prophet, Moreover, I gave them, the Israelites who came out of Egypt, I gave them my Sabbaths. I gave them my Sabbaths like it was a gift. I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. We treat the day as holy. God makes us holy especially in this time. Now, he, he, hopefully he's doing it the rest of the week too, but this is a special time where he does special work as we are especially in his presence in a unique way. Or verse 20, Ezekiel twenty twenty, And keep my Sabbaths holy, that they may be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. It is a sign when we keep the Sabbath that God is our God. It is a symbol, a reminder that we are God's people and that he is the one who is making us holy. The opposite of reverencing is profaning. When we break the Sabbath, 
When we do not keep it holy, we profane God's day by choosing to reverence other things above and besides him. Ezekiel chapter 20, that same chapter we just quoted from, this is what verse 16 says, speaking of those Israelites who came out of Egypt and ended up worshiping a golden calf. He says, they rejected my rules and did not walk in my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths because their heart went after their idols. We profane God's day by choosing to reverence our idols over God. Why is it that you don't keep the Sabbath? Is it a bother? Is it annoying? Does it seem irrelevant, not useful, pointless? Why don't you remember and rest and reverence? Why don't you keep the day holy? God says the problem is idolatry. Can you, Christian, identify the idols that may be in your own life that lead you to profane the Sabbath? There are things that keep us from being with God today. And it's because we value those things more, at least in certain ways and at certain times. Not 24-7, but when it's time to remember and reverence and be with God, we have other things. And one of them I have in my pocket. You ever, you ever wonder what the I in iPhone stands for? Could be idle. Idle phone. And then the, the phone's not evil. I love my phone. I'm on it a lot. But if I'm just consumed in it on Sunday, just like I am the other days, and I don't take time to be with God, what's going on in my heart? What's happening to me? It doesn't have to be phones. It could be anything. But whatever it is that we'd rather be doing and spending our time with than keeping the Sabbath, that could be, check your heart, that could be an idol that we're following. And it's making us profane the Sabbath, even if we go to church. So this is how we have to keep the day holy. We've got to remember, we've got to rest, and we've got to reverence. Now the last thing we need to do this morning, final point, is we need to see, has anything changed since the coming of Jesus? If this is how we obey the fourth commandment and keep the Sabbath day holy, we remember, we rest, and we reverence, has anything changed? Well, yeah, a few things have changed. Under the old covenant, in the law of Moses, the Sabbath day was Saturday. The restrictions on what counts as work were extremely strict. And the penalty for breaking the Sabbath was capital punishment. So there's three things that characterize the Old Testament. Sabbath law. It's the, it's the seventh day of the week, Saturday. The restrictions on what counts as work were very, very specific and very strict. And if you break the Sabbath, you are to be put to death. Amazing. Listen to these words in Exodus 30 and Exodus 31. 31, 12 to 16. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, any work, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put 
to death. I mean, good night. Don't do any work. How do you define that? He doesn't, he doesn't give us the specifics of what counts as work. He just says, don't do any. Well, man, that's very strict. And in the time of Jesus, in the time of Jesus, it had gotten to the point that the rabbis and the sages and the scholars, teachers of the law, Pharisees, scribes, they had sort of filled in the blanks. What does any work mean? Well, it means this. And they had compiled a huge list of things that count as work that you can't do, very specifically. And it got to the point where it was extremely legalistic. Because they said, look, don't do any work. That's a line in the sand right here. Okay? Don't do any work. If you do any work, if you cross that line... Sorry, Matt. If you cross that line, all right, death penalty. So they said, okay, well, to make sure we never cross that line, let's draw another line, and let's draw it back here. Aha! (laughs) If you never cross that line, you're never in danger of crossing that line. And if you mess up and cross this line, there's a buffer zone so that you haven't actually crossed that line. You've only crossed this one. That's called building a fence around the law. And that's what... Jewish oral law and tradition is all about. It's, it's a lot of rules about rules. Keep these rules so you don't cross these. Okay? But when you start acting like this line back here is God's line, and you sin if you cross our made-up line, now we got a problem. This is what Jesus confronts in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke. This is what he's up against. He has some changes he would like to introduce to the way we keep the law. Did the coming of Jesus, did his reformation affect the fourth commandment? The answer is yes. The way we keep the day holy under Christ is different in some important ways than the way it was kept holy under Moses. And let me just focus on these three ways, the ones I just mentioned. Uh, The day of the week, the restrictions on what counts as work, and the penalty for violating the Sabbath, the death penalty. Let's just focus on those three. How have those three things changed after the reformation of Christ under the new covenant? Okay. First, the day of the week changes from Saturday to Sunday. The day of the week changes from Saturday, the original, to Sunday. Well, how dare we? (laughs) Who has the right to change that? Well... Jesus does. Jesus has the right to do that. But, but on what basis? What does he do? Well, his apostles, the early church, under the apostles, began to observe Sunday as the new covenant Sabbath. You can see them doing this in Acts 20, verse 7, and 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. They got together for worship. They kept a holy day on Sunday, not Saturday. So they changed the day. Sunday is now the Christian Sabbath, and John calls it the Lord's Day in Revelation 1.10. That's why we today call Sunday the Lord's Day, not just Sabbath, Lord's Day. And they did this for at least two reasons, and I'll just summarize this. This could be a whole other thing, but I'll just summarize why they did this. They did it for two reasons. One, Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. So they wanted, his apostles wanted to worship him on Sunday to commemorate his resurrection and bear witness that Jesus, who died for our sins and was buried, rose from the grave and lives and reigns forever to receive our worship. Sunday marks the day Christ got up out of that grave where he, and now he lives and reigns for us and we commemorate his glorious Resurrection Day. Every Sunday is a feast of the resurrection. We don't have to wait till Easter Sunday. We glory in the resurrection every Sunday. Jesus' resurrection made that day holy. His resurrection sanctifies that day. The Sunday Sabbath is gospel-shaped. Second reason they changed it, the Saturday Sabbath was on the last day of the week, the seventh day. It pointed back to the culmination of the old creation in Genesis. The Sunday Sabbath is on the first day of the week. 
it points to the beginning of the new creation that Christ brings. Beginning with the resurrection of Jesus, God is making all things new. The new covenant points forward to the ultimate Sabbath rest that Christ will bring in the new heavens and new earth at his return. The old Sabbath looked back and thanked God for Genesis and Exodus. Ours looks back and thanks God for Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. But it also looks forward to the return. It's an already not yet day. It's a gospel day. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And we remember this on this day. This is now a holy day under the new covenant. That's why the day changes. That's one of the reformations Christ brings. Okay, what about the restrictions on work? Bear with me here. What about the restrictions on work? A couple things here. Jesus makes exceptions for works of necessity and works of mercy. Works of necessity, things that just can't be avoided. You can't help it, they can't be avoided. And works of mercy. It's lawful to do good and to give mercy to somebody on the Sabbath, Jesus says. That's Matthew 12, 1 to 13, and the parallel passage is Mark 2, 23 to 28, where Jesus says, the Son of Man, him, is Lord of the Sabbath, and he says the Sabbath was not, he says man was not made for a Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. So the restrictions on work, there's some exceptions, works of necessity and works of mercy. Look. You and I, we know this. Some people have jobs that require you to work on Sunday. I used to have one too. It just can't be helped. You got to be employed. You got to make some money. Now, some places will work with you and they'll say, yep, we, we won't ever schedule you on Sunday. Thank God. Perfect. Some places can't do that or won't do that. Just don't care to. And look, that can't be avoided sometimes. Okay? I, God understands that. We don't live in the same society as the Old Testament was written in or two. And some things are different. And sometimes, look, it can't be avoided. That, to me, that's necessity. You're under necessity. You've got to work. You've got to be employed. Okay. God, I think, has some grace for that. And some things can't be avoided. And that's when we remember Jesus' words. The Sabbath was made for us. We weren't made for it. We're not its slaves. So that's an important change. Here's a more important change. Our Sabbath rest is a sign that points to the true rest of our souls in Christ. It's gospel-shaped. Our Sabbath rest is a sign that points to the true rest of our souls in Christ and in His finished work. We rest by faith in Christ. And I don't have time to look at the verses, but Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3, and verses 9 and 10. So here's the question we're all asking at the you know, last minute here. Here's the question we're all asking. Can I watch football? <laughs> right? Isn't that really what this whole sermon's building to? Am I allowed to watch the Eagles lose? <laughs> Just making sure you're still with me. I'm not from here. I don't care if they lose. Sorry. I won't tell you who I'm watching. Can we do that? Can I go out to eat? Is it a sin to go go to a restaurant? Is it a, am I allowed to cook? <laughs> what can I do? <laughs> what counts as work and what doesn't? Isn't that really what we're finally getting to? Come on. Well, I my favorite day to go out to eat is Sunday. <laughs> I love getting lunch on Sunday. It just feels like the day to go get Chinese food or Mexican food or whatever. I, I love it. I love going out to eat on a Sunday. I grew up that way. That's not good enough for a reason to do it, though, is it? I grew up that way. I like it. <laughs> That's not good enough. Or I like sports. I like to watch football. But am I allowed to or not? That's the big issue, right? Listen. Resting in Christ by faith. Hear me. Resting in Christ by faith sanctifies all of our leisure and all of our recreation on Sundays. And here we have to be gracious, and we have to find the proper balance. I think we should make a conscious 
diligent effort to avoid the normal worldly activities, errands, responsibilities, work that, we're, that we have to do Monday through Saturday, but we should be able to enjoy our freedom in Christ to eat, to play, to have recreation, and to enjoy creation in between your worship. So it's, again, the balance is we go to church on Sunday, then it's my time again. No, it's still God's time. We're still resting from our labors. But if we want to take a walk in the park or splash around in the rain, I think we have freedom in Christ to do that. If you want to take a second and watch, you know, watch the two and a half hour game, okay. But when it goes off, you don't have to watch the next one. (laughs) Right? Find something you can do to spend extra time with God on a Sunday so that you're treating it like it's a whole holy day. So that it actually feels special and feels different. And I think there has to be grace and there has to be a balance. We don't have any such requirement with the specificity that we had under the old covenant. I think there is freedom and that's where your conscience comes in. And you need to be convinced in your conscience that I am remembering this day, I am keeping this day holy, I am resting, and I am reverencing God today. And I know that before God, and I have rest in Christ, and I have freedom in Christ, to then, in between all that, enjoy this or that. Last thing. The day changed to Sunday. The restrictions get changed in a couple of ways. And then finally, the death penalty for the Sabbath, it's not abolished, it's fulfilled. Christ fulfilled that when he took all of our violations of the fourth commandment and he died for them. He covered. He's got that penalty covered. We keep the day holy through Christ who sanctified it and covers us with his blood so that we can be holy in the day. Christ has fulfilled that requirement. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, including the Ten Commandments. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Skip down to verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. Asceticism, severe, austere self-denial. Where you don't let your, where you basically treat the day like you're a monk or a nun. And you just hum in prayer and chant all day. And you can't do anything else. <laughs> Don't let anybody pass judgment on you, it says, in matters of food and drink or in how the Sabbath day is observed. There is no judgment and no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's not a license to then go and break the fourth commandment. But it is mercy that says, when we don't keep it, Christ has us covered. Christ has us covered. So let me end it this way with a few questions for us to reflect on before we move to the table. What changes, Christian, what changes do you need to make to your weekly schedule so you can remember the Sabbath day better than we currently do? What activities or habits can you rest from on Sundays so that you can spend even a little extra time worshiping God on Sunday, both privately and as a family? What is at least one spiritual thing you can add to your Sundays so that you can reverence and worship God more than you currently do? I'm not asking for you to have a whole different life all, like in an instant, 
But let's, let's start small. What's one more thing we can do to be with God today and to say, God, we want to be with you and reverence you today. Hebrews 4.11 says, let us strive to enter his rest. There's a fight, Christian, and the fight is to rest in the right place. Don't rest in our idols. Rest in God and do it on his day so that you don't miss the blessing. That's how we keep the day holy. That's the day of worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the work of Christ for us and in our place. We pray that you would write the truth of your word upon our hearts and help us to be prepared now to move to the table where we relish the work that you've done for us, the finished work that covers all of our violations of this commandment. Help us to think through these questions. Help us to consider what idols we need to grapple with this week and help us to be completely sanctified unto you that we may keep your day holy so that you will keep us holy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.